You hungry? I ain't no snitch. Let's be honest, there's 29 NBA teams and then there's a G League roster with a few stars. They have a math problem offensively. This is Nerdish You Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour. With Mo Dekeel. Are you ready to be entertained? And Seth Partnow. show it's thursday i'm dave DeFore here with seth and mo and that means it's nerder she wrote what's up guys how was your all-star break i'm feeling refreshed dave let's Same. go baby let's go do, do we want to a few days off i know that we're a little late here <laughs> i'm not sure i can handle the contrast and energy between dave and mo right now it's really i know I'm a little, i was a little low I was, I was trying low. to juice him up. Yeah, he's juicing me up. Because yeah. I I'm, normally am doing that to you guys. But I was thinking, no, full uh, like, as I was talking, savage from Mo. Do we want to talk about All Star at all? Do you guys, uh, you know, no. I forgot to ask you before we started, even though we did all this, like, we sat here for 30 minutes. Mo, what's the best thing about All Star? Seth Curry's 15, 16 threes. <laughs> God damn it, Mo, come on. For me, it Help was me Michael Jordan. Um, is Jordan. That was the best thing. Hey, 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 yeah. the guy you want, the guy who you would have thought would have given you the answer you wanted, didn't even give no, you that. The, so yeah. <laughs> the answer is the uh, ending. Yes, thank you. Yes, it was fun. Um, but listen, I, but, it's great for All Star. That's it. Yeah, and, it, and I get you, Mo. I, like I appreciate Mo cares about you know historical context. And maybe no, we don't, don't as much. I actually don't. <laughs> Stop framing it that way. I don't give a f- historical context. But I, I think having the idea of worrying about time and score and intelligent basketball is something I want to f- have. There so you I'm go. It does matter. A lot of um, today I, the, the, Elam ending, the Elam ending was fun. LeBron James hitting a fadeaway game winner was fun. Um, but the guys on Buzz, I, I thought, you know, kind of captured uh, the magic quite a bit. So we won't sit and rehash it. But I did enjoy the experience. I, you know... I wish that they would lean harder into making it for kids. Maybe get kids to judge the dunk contest so I don't have to hear adults complain about it. But other than that, I mean, man, it was awesome. Um, Right off the top, guys, weirdness continues in New Orleans. The Anthony Davis saga was very weird, and we know how that ended up. The Zion Williamson career so far has been highlights and then a lot of nothing. Uh, Will Guillory had a great story at The Athletic. I highly recommend everyone go and read it. He lays out the entire thing very, very plainly. Everyone but Zion has something to say about Zion. And what's the problem there? When there's a vacuum, people are going to fill it with whatever they have to say. CJ McCollum was asked over the weekend at All-Star if he had talked to Zion, had not heard from him, since the trade, they have since spoken, apparently. J.J. Redick, on first take with Stephen A. Smith, called Zion essentially a bad Look, teammate. I, I wasn't the best player on any team I was on. But if there was a, a buyout possibility, if there was a trade possibility, I would always reach out to team. I, I called Ursan Ilyasova. I called Marco. I called Wes Matthews trying to get him to come to Philly. Like, this just shows a complete lack of investment. Said he was disconnected. 
Are you guys worried about Zion and his career at this point? Or is this just a guy who's been dealing with some tough injuries? He's a huge guy. And those injuries are hard to come back from. And then maybe it's just this is normal for athletes to go through, but he's going through it extremely publicly because he is Zion. I am worried about Zion. I'm worried about Zion's career. I'm worried about Zion's career in New Orleans. I don't think him not having spoken to CJ McCollum speaks to that really. I don't think he is the – he's not the first player who has rehabbed a long-term injury away from the team. Um, I think him – frankly, him rehabbing in Portland at Nike um, is about the only good thing that's about the Zion story right now because you want to talk about an entity that is both capable and – has interests very clearly aligned with his, it's Nike just because, you know, they, if they possibly have as much to lose, if not more as New Orleans does in, in, in the situation. So all that I think is the least bad thing. And, you know, him not being around the team and a guy got traded for a week ago and it's, it's trade, it's, it's the, the all-star break. Like I, you know, should he have called and said, Hey, what's up? Yeah, sure, that's fine, but I, I think we're making a little bit of a mountain out of a molehill and fitting something into a narrative. That's it's a it's a it's a plausible narrative about you know Zion and and whatever's going on with him in New Orleans. But I don't think that not like and I don't I don't think he's like you know what I hate New Orleans so much I'm not even calling CJ. I don't think that's no. I don't. Well, one. I agree with Seth on the, on the CJ side of it, right? Like, all right, look, and also he's a young kid, 20 years old. Like, I'm not really going to be on him on etiquette, whereas me at 40 still have has issue with certain etiquette rules in general life. So I'm not going to be on Zion for that stuff. But the stuff I find interesting is, you know, J.J. Reddick saying he's been disconnected since he's been there. And that's a problem. And I don't necessarily mean it in the sense of, career-wise or things like that, but you want your franchise guy connected. That was one of my biggest complaints of LeBron's first year as a Laker, you know, and and, and it was a rough year and that stuff. It was the, the kids and all the, the things there, but he did not feel at all connected to the team, was rarely talking to the guys. You know, you would see him, the way you see him now with the team and things like that. There's a level of connectivity you want to have with your top guys. I don't think Zion's going to be a leader. I don't think he's the type of guy from what we've seen so far as really wanting to be your your a team leader so far, at least at this young age of his career, which is 100% okay. But, like, you want to feel that your franchise guy is connected. And I, I, I kind of – I can kind of understand where it's coming from in the sense of the, him feeling disenge- disconnected, disengaged is actually a really bad look. And I think that's where you're starting to have issues. And it started before this season, even according to, from what we've heard from JJ Reddick in, in, in his stuff on first take. I, I don't even, I, you know, if we're, if we're parsing this, I don't even blame Zion. I think you, I think this isn't the only team we've seen this with, where even if a guy, you're very certain the guy is your franchise, you don't, you don't give the keys to a teenager. I mean, it's, you know, the, the, like someone who has to learn how to in, in not just be a professional basketball, be a professional. Like you're, you're like asking them to do all the good franchise stuff 
it's you're 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 setting yourself up for failure. And if you're giving that person, you know, the ability to ask for things without any sort of pushback and have like you're not setting yourself up to have a good environment. And maybe it works if it's Tim Duncan, but that's not everyone's Tim Duncan. Um, or very few are, or maybe maybe a more modern example would be Giannis. But even Giannis, it took him, you know, took him several years before he really realized, hey, I can ask for stuff. Um, <laughs> and he was already kind of you know an MVP level player when that got there. So I think that this is really this is uh, like frankly, it's an organizational failure. Whatever you want to say about um, you know Zion's response to it, like you know, nineteen year old kid asks for thing. Okay. You know, I I know that when 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 my daughter in eleven years, when she's you know probably a sophomore in college, and asks for, she'll ask for things, and it's going to be my job to say no. And you know, I think that the that the Pelicans didn't do a good enough job saying no often enough, early enough. So that what's that that leads you to this situation. It's interesting because it really has felt like the Pelicans have been playing defense the moment they drafted him. Right. And that was and, and, and I wonder how much of that came off the heels of David Griffin having to get ready to trade Anthony Davis. And I think that was, you know, from that, OK, we got to keep Zion. We got to keep him happy. We got to do all these things for him and all of that stuff. And I think just in general, like babying guys, you know, and, and, and players, even all the way to somebody as Le- LeBron, as we're seeing the Lakers go through their massive struggles right now, never pans out well for the team. It never works out in the long run for the team for the most part. And I think, you know, that's that's something to keep an eye on. And I think that's that's the stuff there with, with the Zion stuff. But the I'm just saying, like, the disconnected stuff, it's got to be a worrying sign for New Orleans in the sense of, like, if this is coming out. And I, I'll believe JJ because he seems to be a relatively straight shooter. He's taken down both the front office a year ago when he got traded and then now going at Zion, you know, a, a fellow Duke alumni, which, you know, you don't assassinate your own, uh, your own uh, family in that sense. No, I mean, you, 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 you made the LeBron comparison and LeBron is LeBron. And at this point in his career, it's probably, this is, I know we didn't want to talk about LeBron a lot, but like the, you know, it came out that he wants to end his career playing with, with his son. And it's, it's okay. Well, in, in, was it in three years? Um, is it going to be worth structuring our franchise around that? You know, it's that's honestly that's an open question at this point whether that's that's the kind of that's the kind of deal that's worth it. And that's LeBron, who is you know one of the top two, three greatest players of all time. Um, Zion, for as good a prospect as he is, is not that, and you can't start by ordering everything around him before he's done anything even even like to the extent that dallas revolves around luca right. and but even to the extent they did he was already euro league like he he was you know he wasn't he was not there yeah he had a resume he had a resume yeah. and so that's uh, and and you know okay we just had to we just had to figure out how to trade anthony davis yeah after he was there for seven years like okay, uh, you're coming at the coming to the end of his second contract. We have to trade him. You can't start the rookie contract going. Oh my God, this guy's going to. I don't want to leave. Yeah, and just again, you know, obviously Griff never had a chance really with AD because he just came in in that in that sense. I don't want to put the failures of the Pelicans before Griffin got there. With the front office, yeah, that had to, and, yeah. And, and that stuff. But but I do think 
seriously, that that was the problem for them. The moment he came in, they were so they were thinking already, how are we going to keep him? And I'm like, yo, he's going to be a restricted free agent. You're fine. <laughs> you know, you deal with it from there. But I will say this. I think this is where the Ben Simmons saga is going to be very interesting for Zion and his team. You know, they got to watch Ben Simmons basically find a way out after having a signed a pretty long extension and a lot of money on the line. And, you know, he's ended up in a great situation now that we're going to end up talking about, I'm sure, at some point in this podcast. But like, I wonder if you're Zion's team, you're looking at it going like, see, we could sign the extension. I mean, we might take some bad uh, press for a while, but we could sign the extension and eventually demand the trade and get get you out of there pretty quickly. So I think that's going to be something that I'd keep an eye on going forward with, with all this. I don't think Zion's taking the qualifying offer. I keep hearing people talk about that. And I'm like, that's insane. Well, they can offer him a five-year extension this summer. They don't have to, they can, they don't have to. And I don't think that they will. I can't imagine they will. That that'll break my brain if they do. I mean, I'm not ready for that. I'm shocked. They I'd be surprised if they didn't. I mean, if Seth? for it to be, I mean, if if it's going to be the five year extension, it's got to be at the max, right? And yeah. so I like, I'd, I have to. I mean, do you do that if you've got some kind of like, you know, some of the the sort of the Embiid like games played qualifiers to give yourself an out? Like, I don't even I, like it's it's a very it is a difficult situation because on one hand you have to protect yourself. On the other hand, you have to protect yourself, but it's still like those are pulling in, in opposite directions. So I don't. It's 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 on one level a good problem to have because of his talent. On the other hand, it is a very you know it's a very high uh, it's a high wire with not so much of a net. That is a gamble, like legitimately. That is that's all that is. There there's no other way to paint it. Yep. Yolo. His health has just been, you know, it's so up and down. And again, this guy. I mean, can you name another athlete? In ever that was built like this guy and that explosive. Oh, Jackson, and, but not playing basketball. Yeah, no, but and Bo, it's mean, like Bo Jackson <laughs> ran out of his own hip, hip socket, basically. Yeah, exactly. That's insane. I, that's yeah. still insane. It still it still messes me up when I think about that. I'm like, damn, that's really like how. But I I, I would say the closest comparison and and, and Seth touched on it is Embiid. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you look at how it's it's finally has stabilized for him, and lo and behold, he was a. Set, finished second in in MVP last year and is in the running this year for it. There's there is some precedent if you can get figure it out. And I and know this what you're is, gonna say size wise, but what, no, 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 no. This is where I'm double. I want to double back to what Seth said, and I actually think that the Nike training thing is a positive because he is going to lo- be locked in and hopefully get the body part under control. I, whatever else is happening that's making him a disconnected teammate. The body part is the important part right now because he can't even play basketball. So he's a zero teammate. And that's what they have to solve first. Okay, so the Eastern Conference is, I don't know. It's not a train wreck, but it is an impending battle. Demolition Derby? It yeah, is. no, I wouldn't call it a train wreck. This is beautiful, guys. I don't know it's what fantastic. you guys are talking about. This is amazing. The the play in it to me is is great. Um, but even just the top eight, the normal what we would consider playoff, there is seven games separating the Brooklyn Nets, who are the current eight seed, and the Miami Heat, who are the one seed. And the Brooklyn Nets 
We don't know yet, but they may just get Kyrie Irving in home games, Ben Simmons, and Kevin Durant in the next week. We don't know yet. All of this is on the table. Now, they need to because it's going to get late really fast for them. It's it's it's. I know we're, we're we're talking nets, but I thought of another one that I want to get off. It's Russian roulette, okay, guys. <laughs> it's literally it's just after every night, go check out the standings, and it's a whole different. Maybe it's just roulette, not Russian roulette. Maybe yeah, I went a little it's far. Seth, Seth gave me a face, and yeah, I got Russian a little roulette. Bit. That's more of the playoff seating, right? Yeah. Because okay. Okay. I I actually think that this year uh, we may see more jockeying for seeds in March and April than ever before in the East because. Look right now, if if the playoffs started today, uh, this is just a, an absolute mess. Make seating the Bucks matter. Are playing the Cavs in the, in the first round of the playoffs. Make seating matter. Yes. I want to see this come into play. Number one, the number one seed gets to pick their playoff, their first round playoff opponent. Uh, that would be fantastic. But I think that seating does matter because the home court matters a lot. Yeah. We're, we're seeing that. In the playoffs, and and this year with the, there's not a giant talent gap. Like there is no perfect team. Plus, in the long history of the playing tournament, we've never seen them win a play, win a playoff series. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. So let, let's let's swing back to the Nets now. Now that we've had that digression. Um, okay, so Brooklyn, we don't know what they're going to be yet. We have some ideas. Um, what they. No outcome from getting knocked out in the play into winning the championship would surprise me. None whatsoever. Such a <laughs> such a wide variance. It's so it's so weird. They, they could <laughs> conceivably this could be like a sixteen and four playoff run for them, right? If everything is just breaking right, and we get, I mean, KD last year, like that playoff KD with help. That's insane, um, but. What do you guys think they need to focus on? I mean, you know, we're, we're 45 days from the playoffs and we know they're adding so many new pieces and, and I'm sure we're going to sit in and talk about chemistry and all that stuff. But I, I want to know specifically, what, what do they need to be focusing on the rest of the way? They need to get everybody back and then start figuring out how they're going to defend. That's really my biggest question mark for them. They got a great, probably one of the top five defenders in the league and Ben Simmons when he's from when we last saw him, obviously it's been a while. So assuming I'm just assuming he's coming back the way he was. And, you know, they have KD after that, they have no size on the wings, none. They're all small. They just picked up Goran Dragic in the buyout market. He's not even ready to play. Steve Nash is saying it's going to take a while to get him ready to go. And again, they're all short, you know, but there's, there's not a lot of size in the wing area. And that's, they're going to have to figure out how they're going to handle that defensively. They're going to be pretty damn good on offense. I, Sorry, folks. I know people are like, well, with Ben Simmons, isn't that? No, that's a great fit for them offensively as well. I think it's going to work out really well on that end. But it's going to be, what are you going to do on the defensive end to counteract the fact that you're really small in the wing area? And this is another way that not having Joe Harris is a problem for them. You know, it's going to be more Seth Curry. It's going to be more Patty Mills. By the way, fantastic Offensive players and decent defenders, but Mo, that's a great point, is that they're going to be small. They run into a team like the Celtics with the big wings that need to be guarded. Uh, you've, you got Ben Simmons. You got Ben Simmons and, and KD. I'm, I'm not. You, you think KD? You think KD is like 
with Jason Tatum, like the, I don't know if I want KD in that kind of trouble. Like, I mean, foul trouble, right? Like, I don't want to. I, I KD, leverage KD has a, his. You know, it's all, we've only seen one playoff run post Achilles, but certainly pre Achilles, like KD in the postseason was an all defensive level player. So mm-hmm. now, what can he dial that back up? Now, can he? Di- will it be easier for him to dial that back up if he has? You know. In in the Bucks series, he probably wasn't that last year, but you know the load he had to carry offensively was, and he wasn't bad defensively in that series. But he was like, you know, okay, I've got to shoot forty five times a night and guard Brook Lopez, like, and so there's only so like, what, what more do you need from me aside from my you know my shoes to be half a size smaller? But no, I think that that's like they have the basis of a at least a competent and competitive defense just by starting with those two guys. Like and they're closing games probably I mean who who's going to be their big is it going to be Andre Drummond or is it going to be KD? I guess it'll be I, I think though, I, mean, I think in, I think against everybody but Philly and maybe Milwaukee I think they're they're closing with Simmons and KD as the 4 and 5. But then so fill out the other three spots. I mean, Kyrie, Kyrie, Seth Curry, and, and, and Bruce and, and, Brown. I don't. I mean, I think like that's I a, that's know. a really small. Yeah, that's small. a really small. That's what I'm talking about. I mean, now, like, now that's you're a starting really to get into small like group. Kessler Edwards or yeah. yeah, I think it's like so. I, I actually, I actually think it will be Drummond. I actually think they don't. I, I, I don't think they have the pieces to go that small because of that, you know. And 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 you lose out. That's even if it's if it's Bruce Brown, you're losing out on offense, right? So you're going to have you're going to have a non-shooter out there. Well, you might as well play Drummond and then level up size-wise. If you're if you're putting in whatever, any combination of the four guards, you know, you're you're basically going to have a problem defensively at three different spots. And it's a guard and wing league, so it's it's very challenging in that sense. And then you put situ- stress on Simmons and Durant to be your backline defenders in that instance. I just I just kind of think it's going to end up being Drummond. I've tried to look at it so many different ways. I've looked at I've, the Charlie Day with the the maps and the, the lines and trying to figure it out, going <laughs> crazy the past few days. And I just can't find it where I just I just keep coming back to, damn, they're going to end up having to play Drummond in crunch time, which I don't think is bad. He's been really good. He's been good for the, he was good for the Sixers. I think he a couple of games he has played for the Nets. He's been really good there get killed on the boards on a regular basis. I think that's a guy that's going to be able to help them out there rebounding. And then you have those guys, Katie and, and Simmons, then it gets a swarm a little bit more defensively. I think it's, I kind of think I like it. Uh, And I actually think, man, Drummond isn't, you know, just dead when he gets caught on an Island. Not that I don't know how much they're going to have to switch, to be honest with you in the East, but he's not dead when he's caught out on an Island and, and I like when he facilitates from the elbows, his two man game with Seth Curry is, is, is pretty good. Um, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think it's going to be drumming. Uh, anything else on Brooklyn that you, that you guys are worried about? I mean, I think the offense is just, gonna, uh, we're not going to be able to calculate it. Keep thinking about Kyrie, Seth Curry, Patty Mills, Simmons, and Kevin Durant as just a, I mean, what. Where does the they, ball get stuck aside they, from they, Kyrie, right? Like, I mean, Kyrie's he's be a wide good, open. Kyrie's a, a good ball mover. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. a good ball mover. You know, that's something that probably doesn't get talked about much about last season was he did a great job swinging the ball and not being a ball stopper. Like you, you probably were, we were used to a little bit in the Boston era mm-hmm. type of stuff. You know, he does a good job with that stuff. I honestly think this is 
I've, I wrote about it, but I think with Simmons, they can actually run a Golden State Warriors type offense to a degree. And then when they run into trouble, do what the Warriors did when they have Durant. Here you go, Katie. I so like they're in a great. I, I think offensively they're in a great position. Yeah, that's no, that's Steve that's Nash their best playoff offense. That's their best defense is going to be okay. Yeah. Fine, we're gonna we're gonna score uh, you know one point five points per possession. You've got you've got some advantages on offense. Good luck. I think that, right. that might be their best defense <laughs> in the playoffs. <laughs> and then give be. it to Drummond to run all the breaks. That that's going to be my favorite part, man. Andre Drummond is a joy to watch. I I don't know if there are ten more entertaining players in the league. That's Are you a, drunk? No, that's a joke. I mean, come on, man. He throws a, he throws a crazy ass pass anytime he does something good. It's awesome. Cool. I, I love that for him. Uh, okay, um, Toronto guys has really turned it around, and, and I think the key to their turnaround has been Pascal Siakam. He has looked like an All NBA player the last couple of months. I think he might make All NBA. To be honest with you, he's tracking that way, and they are currently. The seven seed. So they're a half a game behind Boston for that six seed. What do they need to focus on the rest of the way? I mean, this is a pretty young team, but man, rangy wings and that defense. Finding more than six dudes. A high ceiling. That's what yeah, they need, they need more than six guys. Yes. yes. That's, yeah. that, I mean, I like, Who's their big? Boucher's not going to cut it. No, the, I, they're just going to run three wings. <laughs> I, <think that's laughs> I mean, Scotty Barnes is large, but he's not a big. No. no. So no. that's their that's their concern, right? It's like they have to figure out how they're going to guard Embiid. I, I don't know how you guard Embiid. How are you going to guard against Philly? How are you going to guard against Milwaukee? I mean, they're in a, they're in a tough spot. It's it's what Seth was saying though. Like they got to they got to hope Scotty Barnes had a growth spurt during the All Star break or something and has come back. You know, six ten. Um, it's it's. It's they're just in a tough position. That that was the one thing I was surprised when they made the trade that they got that young back in that trade for Goran Dragic. Where I was like, man, you guys need a big. Like I would have, I don't know if the Spurs would be willing to, but I would have tried to get Jakob Pertl or something. You needed some size in that area. I think that's going to be the one thing that holds them back. But yo, they're rolling right now. They they're very interchangeable defensively. They can switch literally. Everything, you know, basically two through five is a switch scenario for them. And they're they're in a solid position in that sense. Fred Van Vliet's throwing up fireballs. And if Siakam can continue offensively, rolling the way he was going into the All-Star break, you know, they're a feisty team. They're a tough, tough playoff team. But, I mean, what are we really expecting them to do? Well, and, you know, I, I, I don't want to discount what they're doing because I think before the year, mo- most – of us had kind of written them off and, and maybe we took too much stock in the Tampa season that check that the for tape, sure, check right? the tape. I was right. <laughs> check the tape. I had called it. You did. Um, <laughs> and, and so they've sort of, I'm not going to call them a surprise to us. Cause you know, we, we watch them, but I, I would say that at large, they've kind of surprised everybody a little bit. Uh, Seth, is this a, we pat them on the head and just say, nice job. And we'll see you next year. Or, or do you think that they could actually, can they push a team in the first round of the playoffs the way that they're currently constructed? And by push, I mean, you know, a, a competitive six games, maybe a seven game series against, you know, one of the top half teams in the in the East. With the exception of Cleveland, I have the, I have a hard time seeing them being a, a genuine threat. They're going to be, those games aren't going to be fun. But I don't think they have enough to genuinely threaten the 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 other East East teams. Just you know, you, you 
they do they have enough shooting not really do they have enough size not really do they have enough depth not really I, all that you know that's you know coming at this from a from a negative angle but i mean it's been a i think you'd have to say it's been a a, a successful season for them with van vliet taking a step forward siakam getting back to a level trent emerging as a as a as a high level kind of uh player and you know scotty barnes probably the rookie of the year like that's okay like everything that you could have really not i mean not everything but a lot of what you could have hoped to have gone right for them this season has so that's that use that as a stepping stone and and not totally worry that that the playoffs will will probably be thanks for coming for them yeah i mean and they're fun to watch god they're fun Scotty Barnes is, uh, I don't know, man. He's unique large, large. He's very large. Yeah, it really is. He, he, uh, he looks like so. I like the first time I saw, like a lot. Of, normally, you get the you get the feeling of when you see a guy in college and then he gets the NBA, he looks smaller. Like DeAndre right. Ayton looked jacked in college, and then he looks kind of skinny in the NBA. Scotty Barnes somehow looks bigger. Just like he he looks like <laughs> yes. he looks like the dudes from Prometheus. Just like well, the growth spurt the that he got. He's still he's still growing. He's still like what is he? 18, 19 years I, he's old. He's like twelve by the time this podcast comes out. That's six thirteen. Yeah, that's what we need. <laughs> uh, the Boston Celtics guys they they are currently the six seed, so they're in the real playoffs. Even though I, I count the play in, I don't care. Um, they've been on a nice run the last couple of weeks. We've been paying more attention to them. Just you know, everyone in general. Uh, let me listen to the last two weeks. They're six and one. They have a 97.3 defensive rating. They they now, their defense now, since they've added Derek White, has the ability to just turn the faucet off. We've seen Cleveland do it. We've seen Milwaukee do it before. We've seen Cleveland do it a couple times this year. But Boston now has that. Um, what do they need to focus on, guys? I, Seth, before we started, I mean... You kind of came in at me because I was saying, wait, do we believe in Boston just in the pre-show? And you were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, you know, Boston lost a lot of close games early in the year. And they sort of – they've been a team that's underperformed their point differential all year. And now we're kind of seeing this run that they are pretty good and they made possibly the most impactful trade at the deadline. Um, Derek White's not the best player that got moved. But in terms of like a fit, like you talk about their top six and seven and their versatility and ability to guard in any conceivable style and configuration. Um, like think of Toronto and then add an, one more body and two elite shot makers. And, you know, and 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 also, you know, quality interior play where they have, you know, Al Horford, who's still a, a very good positional defender and Robert Williams, who might be the best. Is he the best help side defender in the NBA now? Like not, not, I mean, not talking about like, you know, the straight drop coverage, protect the rim, like Rudy Gobert, but you know, he'll, Giannis would like a word. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> there's an MVP defense just, player of the year. Guy just, just, but, no, continue but on with your point, but, 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 Robert, going. He's been but really Robert good. Williams has the energy to focus on that a little bit more than not having to you know, carry it. 30 whatever offensive usage so maybe okay maybe i'm getting a little reckless having been on, <laughs> having been a long time you know you've been hanging out with dave too yeah ha- having been a long time you know uh, uh owner of uh, on on uh timeshare island time lord share island but uh i think that that they are 
they are super dangerous and um, probably aren't getting talked about enough. Even though but a number of people have noticed that, like you know, oh, 538 has them as the most likely team to. I think that's a little far, but I think that they are. Um, they're 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 someone who needs to be reckoned with in the playoffs. All right, so we like Rob Williams, we like Derek White, we like Jalen Brown, we like Jason Tatum. You know, we love Marcus Smart. Mo, what do they need to focus on? What what is going to trip them up come playoff time if they don't solve it along the way? Me, the word me. If they start focusing on the me instead of the we. That's the issue. What's really taken them off has been their ball movement on offense, right? Their offensive end has been very impressive. The first half of the season or the first prior, like tell the, the new year, it was literally dribble up, maybe one pass, dribble, 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 sidestep shot, step back, wild jump or whatever. There was no ball movement, I, you know, and I killed them for it. They have really turned the corner on this. The ball is flying around the court. It's not even necessarily a lot of passes, but they're finding guys. They're getting into their offense a lot quicker. They're getting better looks just off of that stuff. And if they continue to do that, that's fine. Now, how long that holds will be a big question. That's why I thought, you know, I agree with Seth and that the importance of Derek White, just the another ball mover. Right. A guy coming from the Spurs system of like do something within 0.5 seconds, you know, and, and and not hold the ball and stuff like that. If they can keep that going, in particular, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, keep that going. It'll it'll make them as tough of a team as Seth is talking about. If they start reverting to that one on one game again, they're they're, they're really going to struggle. And I think that's that's going to be the two the two Celtic teams that you're you got to look out for the good one that moves the ball and the one that plays one-on-one. The one that plays one-on-one doesn't win a lot of games. The one that does puts you in a position where you're going to be able to be a real threat come playoff time. And I, I think the, the the frustrating thing about the the like the Tatum and Brown going one-on-one too much is that is that's the kind of way you would play if you had guys on your team you couldn't throw the ball to and expect them to make a play. And I don't think I don't think Al Horford and Robert Williams are going to break a guy down and get a bucket offensively. But they're both guys who can make plays with balls in their hand, with the ball in their hand. Like the Robert Williams has always been. I, I I've always thought his skill level and his ability to, to pass the ball has always been underrated coming in, coming out of college. And I think we've seen that this year. Um, and and obviously Al Horford has been one of the better passing bigs in the NBA for a while. So just moving the ball and using those skills, those guys' ability to operate kind of from the high post just allows them to get, you know, with the defense they play, they don't need to get like, you know, wide open looks every time down the court. Just make it a little easier so that not every possession has to be Tatum and Brown against the clock. And they've been, uh, during this run where their defense has been crazy, they've been kind of middle of the road in the league offensively because – you know, they didn't have to be. And still, the point, I mean, their differential is 17.8 in those seven games because of their ability to crank it up on defense. And um, if you if they don't want you to get a shot up, you don't have to. Like, you're not going to get a shot up. That That's incredible. But that's, but that's the thing, too, though. Like, if offense leads to defense, defense leads to offense. And those are the important things that are going into to that stuff. That's why it, they're all interconnected. This isn't football, right? Where when you play defense, a whole new – 
system comes in, right? When you go to offense, the whole new, the other group comes in. It's it's back and forth and that stuff, and they play off of each other. And I think it's really important for Boston. When they start going to that one-on-one stuff, you tend to have guys not as invested defensively. And I think that's the important thing for them. So I think it, it just even though the ra- offensive rating hasn't gone skyrocketed or anything like that, it keeps the guys, as we talked about early in the show, keeps them connected, right? That that buzzword and keeps them engaged in the game. So I think that's the important aspect of what that offense does for that team as a whole. Yeah, well, Mike D'Antoni's whole thing, right? The ball has energy. And the only way for everyone to have some energy is for everybody to touch the ball. And it doesn't have to happen every time, but it, it helps uh, if a bunch of guys touch the ball every time. By the way, Ime Odoka, I bet the, I mean, the first two or three months of the season, compared to the last two months, the discourse has totally changed. I, yeah, I mean, a lot it, of people in Boston owe him an apology. I, I, I'm not going to go that far just because no, that's they sports. No, they do. But they do. No, they do. They I, I didn't give the dude any chance. They did not give him a chance. I mean, this is a brand new coach. And, man, it was. they were trying to run – I mean, take this with a grain of salt. Trying to run him out of town, essentially. Um, and, and a lot of that was, you know, figuring it out with a new squad. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. I know I'm looking outside right now. Sun's out. Birds are chirping. It's time to start getting outside. Uh, I know that I like to get outside and play basketball with my kids. And honestly, I need to get into a fitness routine in order to keep up with these guys. And Peloton is there for me. Peloton's varying class links were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout, whether you'd like to add a 10-minute core session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals. Peloton's classes were made to challenge you. There are a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, full-body strength, or marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you're already excelling in. Peloton's program and instruction push you to be your best. Their expert coaches and nonstop vibes will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run indoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. All right, the next three teams we're going to talk about are kind of, basically statistically tied. They're they're two and a half games back from the two teams tied at the top, and, and we'll start with Milwaukee here in the five seed. Um, I, I think that the story up to now, very similar to a lot of teams, but health has been a big issue for them. They've had all their best players out of the lineup at some point this season. Brooke Lopez been gone all year, still questionable whether or not he's going to come back. I do like the Abaca pickup. Um, Mo, what, what do they need to focus on the rest of the way um, outside of health? I think they need to be consistent. I mean, they're they're, they're kind of playing going about this season almost like a flip the, the switch type team, right? Like, you know, they'll blow out somebody one night and then lose the next game. It's It's along those lines of, all right, you went through the season, great. Last 20, 25 games or so, let's get back to our stuff and start start playing properly. The one thing that I don't think people are going to realize, I'm not a big Dante DiVincenzo fan, but losing him and then losing Pat Connaughton on top of that to an injury, 
now you're getting real thin up there, right? They just resigned DeAndre Bembry. They just, uh, or excuse me, they picked him up off the buyout market. They just got somebody else. Who did they just? Javon Carter. Javon uh, Carter. Also another net. So they're getting the corporate knowledge from Brooklyn. Yeah, because that's going to be helpful because they're, they're going to play the same way. Yeah, it's going to be like, please tell us the offense. <laughs> Um, okay. But the, well, KD but, but, stands there, and we throw him the ball, and then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think Bembry, those. Yeah, I like those pickups, though. I like those pickups, but it's still going to be it's it's they got to get themselves going now, and I, I just want to see consistency in the last twenty games. Maybe flip the switch now. Maybe well, now. I want to. I want to say. I, you know, you're right. They need to flip it now. The last couple weeks for them have not been good. I mean, this is this defense, which is I think their calling card. Has been twenty third the last two weeks, one seventeen point two, and they went four and three in that stretch. And th- this is not the way that I'm. I'm positive this is not how they thought they'd be playing right now. Um, how much of this is Brooke Lopez missing? Yes, Seth? like is that the big thing? I think. I mean, I think that that's a you know they can they can play really good defense without him, but it's on kind of a knife's edge. Just his ability to basically wall off the paint as, uh, you know, win right as, you know, a one-person gang um, just allow allows for so many other mistakes to get cleaned up. And that allows for, you know, it allows for Drew Holiday to gamble. It allows for Giannis to play, you know, the, to play center field and, and be all over the place. Um, and without that, they don't have that backstop. And now, you know, sometimes – Holiday is prone to an occasional gamble, and those like those turn into layups now, as opposed to oh, big man at basket, let me do something else, where it would happen at least some of the time before. So yeah, no, I think getting him back, and you know, for what it's worth, the, it does not seem like the level of panic is especially high here about him. Like I think that there's 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 some degree of confidence that he will be back in not too long, but you know. It also is like, you know, it's sort of the, the hockey playoffs. Oh, he's fine. He's day-to-day with the lower body injury kind of thing going on a little bit. So, um, you know, grain of salt. But it does not seem like there's like like the Ibaka pickup was – some people saw it as like, oh, I guess that means Brook isn't coming back. And it's like nobody's expecting Ibaka to get big playoff minutes in most matchups. So that's not – it was not he a going to get big playoff minutes for the Clippers. Right. You know, uh, yeah, I just like it as a it's a body that they could use. I mean, you've got a guy who's a willing shooter on offense and and a guy who can help play some defense. I mean, he can he can not, still help defense. A body for a matchup against Philly. He exactly. eats minutes. He yeah, eats doesn't, minutes. That's, doesn't hurt. that's the and important thing. I will say I think Milwaukee, you know, is one of the least interesting teams to talk about because we do so very obviously know what their issues are. Um, they're still my favorite to win the title. I mean, I, I just Giannis is on another planet than everybody that isn't named Nikola Jokic and Steph Curry. So uh, let's let's move to the I guess the team that we've probably talked about more than any other team this year, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Right now, sitting in the four seed, um, I love this team so much, but I am so worried about Evan Mobley and the rookie wall. And I, I mean, they depend on him so much defensively, and it all. I'm worried they're going to fall off here the last little bit of the season. But they've been so fun, and the defense has been so good. I mean, it, at at no point have I watched the defense fall off. The offense can get a little dicey 
And I think that that's the thing that they need to focus on. Am I wrong here? They got to they got to work Karis LeVert into this offensive game plan. So I think the most important thing with uh, excuse me with Cleveland is they can't be satisfied. That's really where it's going to come into it. More than anything else is their attitude has to be like, "Hey, we're playing with house money. Let's roll with what we got. Let's keep playing hard. Let's go with everything we got." They got to continue to go into this attitude of we're underdogs. We got to keep fighting. We got to keep pushing because they are playing with house money. It's really easy to fall into that trap of like, yo, we probably shouldn't even be here, you know, but it's more along the lines of like, they got to act like they're there. They belong and to be there with a purpose. And that's what I'm really going to watch for in the next 20 games for them, you know? And, and listen, if Evan Mobley hits the rookie wall, that's, it's a well-known thing because it's a thing. It happens, you know, and it's a long season for these guys, and, and, and especially for kids coming from college into this thing and things like that. But I think they just got to stay hungry, and that will be the most important thing to watch really in the first 10 games of uh, after the All-Star break for them. I, I Do vibes translate to the playoffs? No. I don't think so. Yeah. So I think I think everything I said earlier about Toronto, I mean, change the names out, but I think those all sort of apply to, to Cleveland. Like they've like they've won the season already. And you know, you, right. the, you, you know, the the playoffs I think will be a bridge too far for them this year, especially with uh um you know all all the injuries they've had. Um I just don't think they have enough guys and I, I you know, I think we've talked about them. I don't I, I don't think Karis LeVert is the answer, um, but you know, between Jared Allen and Garland developing and Mobley, you know, being what he's been for for much of the season, I they, you have to say it's a smashing success of a season and has them set up well for the future. But it's it's a year or perhaps two too early for them. I mean, yeah. It's important experience, yeah. right? And and what sucks for them is. They're going to be the team everybody's going to try to match up with in the playoffs. Like you're talking about tinkering with seeding. That's the team where everybody's going to be like, well, we won't play Cleveland in the first round because that's probably going to be the the easiest uh, route because the first round of the playoffs in the East is going to be a bloodbath. I hope, man, I hope some team tanks or does something nefarious to my you know sports sentimentalities. Uh, to to play the Cleveland Cavaliers so that I can drop the we believe on this podcast and we can root for Cleveland outright. That's going to be great. I'm pumped for that. Don't don't do the we will root for Cleveland outright. <laughs> like don't start including me in this stuff like Listen, this. I speak for all of us when I say no. The we hell believe. you do, Dave. I, we I, believe. I mean, I hate your favorite team, but I hate your favorite team especially if they if they mess with playoff seedings. Is that what you're saying, Dave? Yeah, that's it. That's it. Well, again. Those I do for free. Uh, the third seed right now, and I know, this will be a boring one, I'm sure. The Philadelphia 76ers, like Joel Embiid, has been incredible. They just made a big trade, you know. Uh, James Harden, that's the focus, right? Is making sure James Harden can play with Joel Embiid. Yeah, I, I think we. I mean, I think we uh, went sort of hammer and tongs at this when that that trade was made. And the, is the fit perfect? Yeah, but it's still you've basically you've gone from from Seth Curry to James Harden. So 
who cares? Like it's there's a lot more talent <laughs> on the floor. Um, and yeah, it, it's 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 essentially a question of where is he at physically, um, both you know short term but also long term. I mean, he's not getting any younger, and is he can can he still be the guy in like in, in, in that he was in Houston? And maybe he can maybe even be that guy late in playoff games now with Embiid able to you know carry much more of the load than anyone else has ever done on his teams. Could he possibly be the guy that he was in Oklahoma City, Mo? Like, does that guy exist anymore? No, that dude's been dead and buried for a long freaking time. <laughs> because that guy with Joel and no, 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 not the six man, but just, just that kidding. style of play. I mean, if if he could be that guy with Joel Embiid, Philly would be a monster. I don't even think James knows that guy existed. To be honest <laughs> with you, like it's not something. It's so long ago. I mean, it was almost ten years ago. Right. Like, what is it like we're talking about? Like, there's I don't see that being the 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 case there. I know that's wishful thinking there on your end. I just want to see some relocation. I want to see him. You know, I want to see him try to make Joel Embiid's job easier when Joel has the ball. I got He's going to say I I got a stats for you, Dave. Uh Oh, Um, so in Oklahoma City, uh, just under 87 percent of James Harden's threes were assisted. Since he's left in in com- between Houston and Brooklyn, uh, it's been uh, it's been um, about thirty percent of his threes are assisted. So that, yeah, so that's sort of just like can he still be that guy who like relocates and hits spot up threes? Yeah, sure. But we kind of said maybe we'll see more of that when he plays with Chris Paul. Maybe we'll see more of that when he plays with <laughs> with uh, Russell Westbrook. Maybe we'll see more of that. And we, to be fair, the first little bit of the the, the Harden, KD, Irving when they were all together that that like sort of that honeymoon, we saw that a little bit more. But that's not something he's done consistently in ten years. So yeah, I I mean yeah. It, you know it's a podcast. I was just kind of throwing that out there as a device you know to talk about i know no you've done ex- enough podcasts to know what you've done enough James with me to play any different now here's the question mo I, joel Embiid is more of a popping big and, we, and we've talked about this together and james harden used to the guy that that rolls hard to the basket what are they going to do to bridge that gap is it going to be mb rolling to the basket more you think we might see that I'm glad we got a very creative coach in Doc Rivers to figure that out. Um, no, it's it's the the, the what what I say. Um, no, the the I think we'll see Embiid roll more, but it's not to the level that James is used to. Also, right, like right, it, it, he is not a roll throw it at the rim. I'm gonna I'm gonna slam it down. He's not Clint Capella, nor should he be. He's right. Damn near going to win the MVP or close to it um, by not being that guy in that instance. You know, and he has his his mentality. So it, it goes back. Those to are it. harder and more dangerous miles, too, by the way. It, well, it's just more difficult. And again, there's just so many just like Brooklyn's going to have to figure out how to play with with Simmons. They're going to have to figure out how to play with James Harden. James Harden is going to have to figure out how to play with Embiid. Again, in 20-something games, that's not a lot of games to really figure all of that stuff out. It's challenging in that end. And then just everything, all the questions we have defensively and everything that goes with it. And then you got to hope his hamstring is still going to hold on, 
right? And that's been such an issue. Like we're used to James Harden being, you know, indestructible in Houston, right? He barely missed games there. You know, Brooklyn towards the end of that season last year, then he strained the hamstring and it's been a problem ever since. And I think those are the things I'd be really worried about if I was uh, Philly going forward there. You know, they have more talent on the floor now. I think they're actually going to be one shooter shooter short now, um, having actually had to trade Seth Curry in that instance. But it's it's still going to be tough and figuring out how you're going to balance in beats post ups with Harden's pick and rolls and and things like that. And we're trying to figure out in his eleventh year or whatever year in his career, is he going to go back to being a relocating moving guy? You're wishing for a lot, and, and, and never a great thing to say that you're relying on George Niang, right? Like that that's going to be he's going to be a very important player for them, I think, with the shooting. Coach Thorpe is going to be very upset with you for. I, <laughs> this is this is about role, not about the player, right? But like to me, when you're getting that far down your bench, and, and it's like, okay, this is we need you to be able to hit shots. Uh, I mean, that that's trouble, especially it's, with the defenses in the East, man. It's and and it's not just George Yang. It's it's Corkmans who's been cold all season, all season, off. You know, it's it's Danny Green who's streaky. You know, it's it's Thibel who teams are going to leave open. It's that's the concern about that team shooting wise. Like, do you have enough shooting in in that uh, on that roster to really even really make the James Harden pick and roll worth it? You know, that's that's really going to make that difference in that if Thibel's on the floor, well, I'm just going to suck all the way in with his guy. And hey, if Thibel makes the shot, makes the shot. Cool. He's going to cut. Well, he's going to cut into an Embiid who's rolling to the rim. I'm fine. You know, it's I'll live with that. It's it's those types of things there. I think they're going to have a lot more challenges there. It's not a very easy plug and play scenario in that stuff. And I think that's something that I mean, that's my big question for Philly is can you figure this out in the next 20 games? I think they're going to find that their best offense isn't choosing between Embiid post ups and hardened pick and rolls. It's going to be running hardened pick and rolls into Embiid post ups. I think. There's, you know, Harden has been really good at like hitting guys on lobs. Um, I think the space that Embiid takes up and then can be effective with the ball makes him so much bigger a target to hit as kind of a role because you get you get him the ball sort of on the move, both feet in the paint. Yeah, that's not a dunk, but it's a pretty good advantage situation. And I think we're going to see a lot of that if they can actually get on the floor and develop some chemistry together. I think the the guys we really got to talk about who we didn't even mention, which says a lot also, is Tyrese Maxey and Tobias Harris, right? Those are going to be the key guys. It's going to be, can those guys play with James and Embiid on the floor at the same time, right? And and and, and not have to sacrifice as much. I think Maxey attacking the second side is going to be interesting and going to be a lot of fun there. It's it's My question is going to be, what does Tobias Harris do? And that will be... Uh, uh, the other thing that Doc Rivers will have to figure out is carving that role out for uh, uh, for the Sixers. That that I mean that almost strikes me as a good problem to have. I think at this point, yes. Tobias <laughs> Harris is a is a is a pretty underrated player. I think he's he is he is the guy who is in the oh my god his contract is so bad that we kind of forget he's a really good like three level scorer. Like he's not elite. But in terms of being your third guy who can attack a closeout, who can hit a spot up three, who can get to can get to the rim and score, um, that's it. I I think this is a really good chance for him to demonstrate. Yeah, he's not worth forty whatever million a year, but he's a really good player. 
okay, the last two teams currently tied for first. Uh, we'll start with the Bulls, who have been, I think, a pleasant surprise. You know, DeMar DeRozan has been incredible this season. The best mid-range shooter in the league this year. He's hitting game winners. They've got Lonzo and Caruso. That helps their defense, and they're going to hopefully be getting those guys back soon. Vucevic has finally rounded into form, and they're currently the one seed. How come I don't believe in them? I love this team. I I just cannot buy all the way in on, on this team actually coming out of the East. Um, am I, am I missing something guys? No, you don't believe in them because nobody really believes in them. Right. It's, it's, it's one of those things where we're just not sure it's, it's, they're actually the Phoenix Suns of last season in the way they're going into the playoffs. If you think about it, Zach Levine is, is playing the Devin Booker role. DeMar DeRozan is playing the Chris Paul role coming into it. Then you have a lot of great other pieces in there. Hopefully those guys come back healthy and ready to roll in Caruso and Ball because it's just such a massive difference for this team when they have both of those guys on the court together, what it does for them defensively and how it really kind of just forces the other teams into turnovers. Those two guys just having a the the ability to really wreck offenses. And I think that's an important thing that they're they're missing with those guys. It's good to have Vooch going. I just think we're we're all kind of treating them in the sense of it's I'm gonna steal the Seth Partnow line here of just, hey man, we're did a great job. We're gonna pat your head there. Good job right there in the one two seed situation. Hey, we we love it. But like it's it's depending on who they match up with. I don't know if we we feel comfortable saying they have the ability to stop Giannis in a in in a first round series. Is it stop Embiid in a first round series? Like I don't know if they can, you know. I think a series with them in Boston would be fantastic because I think it'd be a lot of fun watching those two teams go at each other and go nuts in in everything that they have and it, that stuff. So I just think we have a question mark just cuz we haven't really seen it from them and I just think that just reminds me of the Phoenix Suns. All right, then Seth, what what do you want to see this team focus on the rest of the way? Like a problem they need to solve or, or just something that you want to see more of? I am wondering, I don't know if it's something they can they can really solve either way the rest of the year. Um I worry about in the playoffs, you, you mentioned that Ball and Caruso obviously have been huge for their defense. Um I think that teams are gonna do a lot to Okay, well, you want Alex Caruso guarding our, our best player. We're going to run some action, get him get him matched up on on Demar Derozan. So you're talking about a matchup with the Celtics. Okay, the the Bulls want to get uh, I don't know they want to get Marcus Smart off of Derozan. All right, here's Jalen Brown. And <laughs> whereas like you know the 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 Bulls are going to want to have ball on on Tatum probably, and it's like okay we get some action run. Okay, well now we've got him up against Demar Derozan, and you just see how those mismatches play out against the Bulls in, in too many matchups. And so I think that's kind of kind of what I've worried about. And then the other part is like they're they're gonna be very dependent on getting contributions in the postseason from Ayodisumu, who's a rookie, who's second round rookie who's who's come on great, and Javante Green, who's been really a, a kind of a the Bruce Brown of this year. For a fantastic story. How does a six four power forward who can't shoot work in the playoffs? So that's I think that's for as good of story as they've been and as fun of as they've been to watch. Just you just it's it it's hard to see that working at least second round and deeper of the playoffs. 
Yeah. So Mo, what what would you focus on, man? If you if you were coaching this team or advising, what would you be focused on? That's that's a tough question, Dave. Is it I hard? just think I I mean that's the thing is you can't just pinpoint it one one thing. You just keep rolling what you got and hope it works in the offseason. And to what Seth said, that's the thing is they're actually a really schemable team. They're a team when you have that they're the, they're a great regular season team. I have a lot of questions for them in the playoffs for everything that Seth said. Okay, cool. I'm going to run stuff that's going to put you guys in difficult positions defensively, and let's see what let's see how you handle that. And that's where it gets a little bit tough. And you know, it's it's hard having Alex Caruso to have to guard fours all of a sudden, you know, or, or something like that. They're going to put them in a tough position. I mean, they've did it against the Knicks. It worked against Randall, but we've seen what the Knicks season has looked like. So it's it. it, it They've gotten away with a lot in the regular season. Whether they'll be able to in the playoffs is is going to be a challenge. They're one of those teams that I look at going like, man, playoffs might not be that nice to you. All right, a team that I think is better built for the playoffs than they are for the regular season. The Miami Heat are currently tied for the one seed. So, you know, what do I know? Not a lot. Um, look, Eric Spolstra has done – I don't know. How would you guys grade it? An A plus? Do you give him two pluses for the coaching job he's done this season? Just spare parts, plug and play. He's just made it work. Put Kyle Lowry into the mix, and and that works. Everything seems to work for Eric Spolstra. So what should they be focusing on the rest of the way, guys? I mean, we we know that this is a team that's going to be focused on their seating, and, and they're going to be focused on – their health, but what do they need to fix and on the they, court? They need to focus on end-of-game offense because that's really where they, they tend to struggle in close game situations. And I love Jimmy Butler. I think he's awesome. I think he's great. I get very nervous when their end-of-game offense is we're running isolations for Jimmy Butler. And it's good for three and a half quarters. But in those last five minutes, it tends to not work out for them. And I think that's the area they got to find an end-of-game offense. I know they haven't had... Tyler Hero for for stretches. They've dealt with injuries throughout the entire year. But I think they just need to go stay with their offense, stay with their motion offense and things like that, and stay out of the Jimmy Butler isolation stuff. Like it's going to pay off sometimes, but more often than not, I think it's going to fail you. And I think they need to find an end of game offense that they can roll with. I mean, what's the solution aside from just sticking to their offense? Like, is it is it maybe try Kyle Lowry as the guy? Let him let him lead your late game offense? No, I think, honestly, I think their offensive system is good enough that you could run to end in games. It's funny to me sometimes with teams. Ride with what got you there. You know, like, why change in the last five minutes? You know, if if, if you're in a close game, tight game scenario, continue to run the stuff you got. Sometimes I think running into this isolation stuff, Jimmy's not good enough in the one-on-one in crunch time, I feel like, that's really going to get you that far. And that's, you know, you're you're making a run for a championship. You, you need to get that stuff figured out. I just don't think they have a guy. I don't think there is a clean solution. I think it's not so much late game offense. I mean, it is. It's late game, how they're closing games and how they balance. Like they can put a really good defensive lineup on the floor that has zero spacing. And they can put lineups of spacing on the floor that are going to have two or three kind of eat at Joe's signs in terms of, you know, you can, yeah, you can get some spacing on the floor if you put, you know, lineups with Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson and Max Struess out there. Who are they stopping? So I'm finding a lineup that just has that balance, that seems like that's going to be, that's going to be a little bit tough for them, I think. Like that's the worry for them for me is 
you know, it's a team that seems like they're so predicated on having this elite defense. But then you look at that lineup. And then here's where, again, not to get back to Boston, but you look at Boston's elite defensive lineup and Miami's elite defensive lineup, and Boston's has more shot creation. Like, and I don't right. think it's close. And has more shooting. So I think that that's, that's the, the worry you have is now – Maybe they maybe they just dominate over the course of the game, and you know they Duncan Robinson gets away with it against some like bench units and hits bangs four threes, and you you're up eight with two minutes left, so it doesn't matter. But I I just that the finding what that balance closing five is is I think going to be the biggest challenge for them. Uh, okay, well um, the games are going to be back I guess Thursday night and. 45 days, guys, till the playoffs. Uh, anything else that you guys are looking forward to as we look ahead to the playoff push? Just some great basketball, man. We have a great scoring race. I don't know if anybody's uh, aware of that. Uh, that's going to be amazing. That's like I think Embiid's going to get that. I think that that's one of the little uh, adding James Harden. Embiid is going to get some opportunities for sure to, to have some big games. Huh. I, I I thought it would go I, the other way. To be honest with you, I, yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of thinking the other way. But uh, oh, guys, I'm thinking about uh, uh, from a marketing perspective. What would you do? Do you want your big man to win MVP? I, I mean, mean, I know I would. Yeah, I'd be pushing that one. Uh, although I, I'm pretty sure LeBron is gunning for it. That's that's nice. Yeah, I mean, you got to get a scoring title at some point. I thought he was. I thought he was in the running for executive of the year. And on that note, that's going to do it for this week, folks. We'll catch you next week right here on the Athletic NBA Show with another episode of Nerder She Wrote. She Wrote.